morning from Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed, the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. So last Sunday we talked about a different question that Jesus had. The one He had last week was about the Sabbath. If you weren't here, the story was that Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And He got angry because the scribes and Pharisees cared more about the rules of the Sabbath than seeing a man healed. And Reverend Venable told us the story and how it doesn't actually say healed, but talks about the hands man, the man's hand being restored in a very personal way, shared with us that we can be a part of the restoration work God is doing by being this same kind of presence to each other throughout the vicissitudes of life. But Mark kind of gives us a narration in this part of the Gospel about what Jesus is doing, where He's going. After the synagogue, Mark narrates that Jesus went to the sea and that a crowd followed Him. He was becoming more and more well-known and drawing more and more people when He would be teaching or healing. Then He heads up a mountain and there calls twelve out of the group that is following Him, the twelve that will become His disciples upon which the church will be built after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Then Mark says, Jesus went home. It appears that He's needing a break, that He wants a little time away from the crowds, that after He's been on this tour, He goes home. But Mark says His notoriety has grown such that even though He goes home, Great crowds gather. Multitudes of people come. So many, in fact, that they're so 
packed in a small space that there's not even room for them to eat. He has become a celebrity almost. But crowds can get crazy around celebrities. I asked our teenagers, our chapel choir, who were here to sing at 8.30, have you ever heard of Elvis? Some of them had heard that name. I reminded them the kind of celebrity Elvis became in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The crowds would come and people would just be feverish, fanatic about seeing him. And even after he had finished his concert, the whole crowd or most of it would stay in the venue hoping to see him. Maybe he'll do an encore. Maybe they'll even get a chance to touch him. It became such a phenomenon that finally they had to begin to announce, Elvis has left the building to try to disperse the crowd. It became a part of pop culture. Elvis has left the building. Well, the early days of the ministry of Jesus are kind of like that. People are coming to see what's going on, what all the stir is about. Now certainly at this point in His ministry, they do not understand what He's going to say, what He's going to teach, and what He's going to do. They do not understand where the path is going to lead if they decide to be one of His followers. But they want to see what's going to happen next. What will He do next time He's out and about? And Mark tells us that There's been enough fuss about this that some guys, some authorities have come down from the capital. They want to know what's going on. They seem to think he's kind of a sideshow, not really religious at all. And since they're the monitors of religion in that area, they try to set him aside. They accuse him of being demonic, not being religious, but opposite of that. You hear it in verse 22 when Mark is writing. He says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of the demons, He cast out demons. Jesus' response brings us to the crux of today's passage. He responds in verse 23, And He called them to Him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The message seems to be clear that we need to stick together. Once divided, we cannot stand. And Jesus is making the point... If I was demonic, if I was trying to do evil, why would I be casting out demons? That makes no sense. That's not a logical argument. I'm working on bringing people together. We all have to stick together. That's what he seems to be saying. But then just a couple of breaths later, he's told that his family has come and he ignores them. They come and call Him and He acts as 
if he's not going to respond or as if he doesn't care about them. He replies, recorded here in verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? He seems to be ignoring them, but maybe something else is going on here in terms of what he's going to raise up as the value of family or family values. I hear quite a bit these days people talking about family values. But I notice when they begin to describe that most often, they're talking about a middle class family, two parents, two kids living Economically secure life. But how many people does that leave out? In our country today, you know, half of the people who marry end up divorced. There's so many different constellations of family in our culture. We need to think carefully when we say what a family is and who's included. This story today helps us consider how Jesus views family. It's important to remember that as far as we know, Jesus never married, never had children. His mother and brothers and sisters are there. His family of origin, that is His only family, so to speak. And yet Jesus seems to be ignoring them. If you read through the Gospels, you find other places where Jesus says some things that really challenges us. He says His coming, in fact, is going to split families up. It's going to cause people to turn on each other within their own family. And another place, He makes this outrageous statement that you have to hate your family to follow Him. What are we to make of that when we think about family and our time and our place? If we think about the history of families in the United States, if we're going to go back to traditional families, almost all of us then have to move back to the farm, live close to our families of origin, give up birth control, have large families. Recognize that the extended family is really the primary unit, not the nuclear family. If we read across the biblical narrative, we also realize when the Bible talks about family, it often makes room for the neighbor, for the stranger, for the widow and the orphan. Sometimes it even says an alien from another country. We're to take in as if they're part of our family. When we talk about family, what do we mean? What kind of family are we talking about? The Bible over and over talks about the need for people of faith, for the people of God, to watch for those who need extra care and extra tending and extra love and to take them in and to include them as if they're part of our family. So Jesus is raising questions about who is in my family. 
And when the question is raised in this story today, who is a part of my family? Jesus gives His answer in verse 34 and 35. He says, and looking at those who sat around Him, He said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. See if this makes sense to you. I think Jesus is saying to take God's view of this extends His obligation far beyond His blood relatives. Whoever, that's what He says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. He is not rejecting His family Rather, he is greatly expanding his family. I think it was a challenge for those who heard him that day. It's probably a challenge for all of us as well as our culture tends to shrink down further and further who we are to care about, who gets to be included in our family, or who is worthy of care and love and tending. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote a lot of things during his lifetime. But one of the things that was central to his teaching as people came to him for spiritual guidance was what he called the general rules for societies of Methodists, those who wanted to be a part of the Methodist movement and be nurtured by the Methodist groups. He says, if you want to be a part of these groups, you need to do these three things. The first one was do no harm. The second one was do good. I want to read to you what he said about doing good for others in that section. He wrote this. It is therefore expected of all who continue therein that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation. First, by doing no harm. And then he goes and makes this list of over a dozen things which do harm. Everything from taking God's name in vain to taking money from someone without expecting to pay it back. But then after he lists all those things, he writes further and says, Secondly, by doing good by being in every kind or in every way merciful after their power, as they have opportunity doing good of every possible sort, and as far as possible to all men or all people. I think Wesley's echoing the same message Jesus is giving us in the story today from Mark. I think this is what it says. Your Christian obligation is much bigger than your nuclear family. Yet there's more here than just that. Yet the good news here is that we are not limited by our family of origin. We're not limited by our family of origin. The Gospel says it doesn't really matter who your parents were or how much money they made or where you grew up or what your ethnic background. Those are not the important things. 
Recognizing the love of God pouring into your life and responding to that, that's the important thing. Jesus is saying, all of you are included in the family of God. And as Christians, we need to be thinking not only nuclear family or even extended family, but family of God. And that should be an overriding concern for people of faith, for the people of God, when they think about family. Jesus is saying that God's love and grace is offered to us all. We respond in kind to receive that love and then have the challenge to pass it on, to share it with others. Will you take up this ethic of love? For all that strive to do the will of God? That seems to be what Jesus is saying. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The family value Jesus seems to be teaching about today is love for one another. I think He's saying that kind of love is what binds us together. That's what helps us stick together. That's what makes us a vital community of faith is that we've received the love of God in Christ. And then not only do we receive it, but we share it with others as if they were part of our family. How big is your definition of family? How big is your picture in terms of Christian faith and how it relates to other people? Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. As I was thinking through this all this week, I began to have a hymn I remembered kind of stirring in my brain. I thought, oh, that's one of those old-time revival hymns. And then I got out my hymnal to look it up. It was written in 1972. <laughs> Not 1700 or 1800. But it's still a wonderful hymn. I want to read you. It's just two verses long. I want to read it to you because I think it's a great summary of what our text is teaching us today. It's written by Carol Owens. This is... The lyric, God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share His love as He told me to. He said, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name. And because you believe, others will know that I live. All power is given in Jesus' name, in earth and heaven in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share His power as He told me to. He said, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in My name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Amen.